hello and welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and Summer's here, and that's a massive list of books you've read, as usual. <laughs> well, I mean, you got a few. How many did you read? Uh, I actually did five this time, so... So see, it's evening out. It's not evening out, but that's okay. As someone told me long ago, it's not a competition. Well, it's not. and um, It's definitely not. But. <laughs> my list for these past two weeks uh, is very uneven. Um, I've read a ton. Some of them have just been amazing, and some have been very average. But the average ones let me speed through them pretty quickly, and then the ones that were great, I just couldn't put down. So that's why I've read so much for the past couple of weeks. The first one that I'm going to talk about is called Summer Stage by Meg Mitchell Moore. And this one was recommended by Ann Bogle in her Summer Reading Guide. Uh, she does the podcast, What Should I Read Next? Um, I, I've listened to her for a lot of book recommendations over the years. Some of them are really, really great. And some are, you know, so-so. And this was for me, was more, one of the more so-so ones. I liked this one because it's a great summer read. It's set on a little island in the Northeast. And it's also, it looks at the world of theater. So um, a former actor and his ex-wife, who's a former actress, looking to jumpstart her career again, decide to put on a Shakespeare play on this kind of remote little island where he grew up. Each of them have their own private reasons for doing it. He's going to direct, she's going to star in it, you know, looking at, they're both kind of aging out of the acting business and, and looking at some ways to kind of keep their careers going it also involves his sister, who is a high school teacher and drama coach, who comes in to manage this. There's a lot of tension between the brother and the sister, and then um, his sister's daughter, who is college-aged, but not in college. She has been a TikTok and social media sensation who has crashed and burned, and she's looking for a refuge for the summer, and is talked into also helping with this play. So what I really, really liked about this is um, the world of theater. Shakespeare in particular. Oh, gosh, I love Shakespeare. Um, and like seeing all of this set on an island, looking at the preparation going into it. What I didn't like about it mostly was the, <laughs> the TikTok star who uh, has crashed and burned. She was really whiny, really entitled. And I didn't like her at all. Sometimes it just be that way. It does. Then the next one that I read was called A Trip of One's Own by Kate Wills. This is a nonfiction book. Is about, um, well, Kate Wills, is her memoir, really, a series of essays about traveling all by herself and the way that she, the reasons that she started out traveling by herself and then how that evolved through um, the rest of her life. She had really, really great stories of traveling to remote places as a journalist. I love a good travel memoir, so I had a lot of fun reading this one. Then um, I read Same Time Next Summer by Annabelle Monaghan. She wrote Nora Goes Off Script last summer, which I loved so much mm -hmm. that I read it in 24 hours and then I turned around and read it again, like right there, because it was just such a fun summer read. And this one was also a fun summer read. It's maybe a little more predictable than Nora Goes Off Script, but it doesn't make it any less fun. This one is also set in the Northeast. I want to say maybe like Cape Cod, Nantucket. I cannot remember the exact setting. All those little, you know, social places run together <laughs> in my mind. Um, but again, it's on somebody's family home where they've had a summer home that they can escape from New York City to. And it's a second chance romance um, from when the main characters were teenagers. 
Um, really, really just fun, great beach read. It moves fast. The characters are totally likable. The setting is perfect. So if you just need a book to read on the beach, this is a great one. Then I read The Secret Book of Flora Lee by Patty Callahan Henry. Uh, this is another Anne Bogle recommendation and also a book of the month pick for this last month. Um, in this one, it is a historical fiction book set right after World War II. Um, the, it deals with the evacuation of London with all the children. And so this set of sisters, one of them was like 15 and then the other one was a tiny little kid. The older one has, um, the, Hazel is the older one, and she tells stories. She's made up an entire world for her younger sister, um, and it's just theirs. They don't share it with anybody else, and it's a way to distract Flora from the, uh, you know, the bombs and the evacuation and missing their mother and all yeah. the kinds of things. But then her little sister goes missing, and there's all of that added to the war and the um, craziness of this time. Um, as the story begins, it's 1960, and she is working in a rare bookstore, and she opens a package from a new book that has just been published, but it's got, like, exquisite illustrations or something that gets it to her boss's attention, and it is the story of the world that she created for her little sister that only the two of them knew. So the question is, did her little sister survive? Where is she? Did she have something to do with this book? And the book mm -hmm. is a search to find out what happened, how the story wow, came to be. Intricate. What a cool idea. It was a really, really cool idea. It was a very kind of sentimental story, um, but I really liked that idea, that question, and the power of books, again, to reach over time. Well, it's kind of an unknown part of the whole World War II thing because it didn't happen here, but in Britain where you're getting bombed, I mean, it was mm -hmm. a real issue for parents. If you had family in you know, Australia or mm -hmm. South Africa or somewhere like that? Do you send your kids away? Do you keep your kids? Do you keep some of them and send some of them? And I mean, this, this would have been a hard too. thing to figure out. One of the girls who left London at the same time and came to the same town near Oxford that they did was paired up with a very hateful woman, and she ended up running away, running back to London to yeah. her mother. And um, So it brought up a lot of those kinds of questions. I really did like the history involved in this and kind of the way that they made that really real in a way that it's hard for us as Americans to understand. Oh, completely. Um, it was another very dramatic book where everyone's screaming and falling and running. And you know, <laughs> you know how I am about that. So I was, yeah. not, I was not enamored with some of those kinds of things. But the story itself was very interesting. Um, then I read Once More with Feeling by Alyssa Sussman. She wrote a book I read last summer, too, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, the covers look very similar, so they're easy to match up. Uh, she likes to write about people in Hollywood, celebrities and, and, and romances with them. Um, so this one reminded me a lot of her first one, just because it dealt with the same kind of idea, the celebrity romance. If that's something that you like, this might be a book for you. Then I read what may be one of my favorite books this year. It's called Jane and Edward, and it's by Melody Edwards, and it is a modern reimagining of Jane Eyre. And you really did love this. You told me about it. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It just stayed with me for days and days. Jane Eyre was one of my favorites anyway. I can still see the exact spot on the shelf that it was um, on my high school library shelf. When I found it, I had to pick a book off a list. And I pulled that one off the shelf to see if I would like it. And I just fell in love with it. I don't even know how many times I've read Jane Eyre. Um, but I really loved that book. So 
I wanted to see, but I was kind of skeptical. Yeah, about this that, one. that's a double-edged sword when you come to the reimagining of a familiar story. Exactly, especially one that you love so much. Like I've read some uh, reimaginings of Pride and Prejudice and hate them all. I think <laughs> I don't think I've read. Did one. you read Pride and Prejudice and Vampires? I did because not. That I did read. I and know, let me tell you, you it, it was beautiful. But I don't think I've read a single redo of Pride and Prejudice that I just unequivocally loved there's some that i enjoyed okay but none that i love like that came close to my level of loving pride and prejudice this one came close to how much i love jane eyre it was really really good so she set this book in the toronto financial district which was a really really good idea because it has all the secrets and kind of the um, codes and special languages that would have been the same um, intimidation as jane eyre coming to thornfield as a, a girl who'd been raised in a very strict private school, orphan, all those kinds of things. The characters in this book are Jane Rain and Edward Rosen, and she does a really good job of making them, like Jane Rain has the same kind of fierce independent spirit, but also the fears that Jane Eyre had. Um, Edward Rosen has the uh, irritability, the intractableness, and the secret, truly kind heart that Mr. Rochester had. Um, I really like that in this book... Jane Eyre and Mr. Rochester had some issues based on their own pasts that really weren't addressed in Bronte's book. And that's been part of the reason that lots of people um, have had issues with Jane Eyre. Also, the fact that Mr. Rochester was a terrible liar. There are lots of reasons. Um, <laughs> but I like the way that Melody Edwards kind of went back through those pasts and 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 kind of worked out why these characters would have made the decisions they did. Mm-hmm. Um it's definitely a modern kind of sensibility, but it it took those original characters and kind of let us see them in a new light. It made me think back on the book and kind of look back at Jane Eyre and Mr. Rochester in different ways, too, looking at the way that she had imagined these characters to be. Um, she was very faithful to the original story, just setting it in a modern setting. I don't know. I just I cannot say enough good things about this book, and I thought about it for literal days afterwards. I'll probably read it again. No harm in that. All right, I read um, The Cheat Sheet by Sarah Adams. I read several things by her and talked about them on here. Um, When in Rome, Practice Makes Perfect. She writes just really, really fun, light romances. This one was about a NFL football player on an imagined team, the LA Sharks, and then his very best friend. It's just a lot of fun. A really, really fast read, a really fun read, good summer read. And the last one that I read is How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key, we have mentioned that one before as something that's coming out that we're super excited about. So, you know, obviously we're going to be discussing that one some more later. Yes. Okay. Is. You are up. I believe that is what they call foreshadowing in the, in the business of talking. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I uh, tied up a few loose ends, finished a few that I've been working on for a while and have some still. Uh, I read a book called Three Days at the Brink, FDR's Daring Gamble to Win World War II by Brett Bayer. It is about this secret Tehran conference between Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin in 1943, where the plans were ultimately made for the Normandy invasion. Um, And really the underlying personalities. It's always hard to have a a three-person entity. There's a reason that, you know, twos and fours seem to work better for things. But when it came time to save the world, you were stuck with what you got. and. Mm -hmm. You might not have loved Stalin, but uh, you'd take him on your team rather than put him on the other team. Uh, so, a lot on Roosevelt here. An interesting read. The politics of all that is very interesting. 
Yeah, and, and the, the way that, that it could have easily worked out very differently, uh, maybe for better, but certainly for worse. Uh, so an interesting look at an at interesting time. Britt Bayer had done multiple uh, books. I believe he said in there that this was his third one, but this was the first one I had read uh, and, and enjoyed the, the insight. Um, read Barclay, a biography by Timothy Bella, which is a biography of Charles Barclay. Um, Bella does a good job of, of being fair to his subject. This was not an unauthorized deal, but, but Bella had done his homework and gone back and talked to family members and old coaches and, and people at every step of uh, Barclay's way, and you do get a real feeling for how much personality the guy has. What a lunatic he, frankly, can be sometimes, <laughs> but uh, but a lovable one, uh, and you know, I enjoyed it. Not a, a life changing book or anything, but a good quick read. Uh, I've been reading Terry Pluto's books. He's one of my favorites, and given the blessing of Archive.org, I'm going through and trying to uh, pick through some of those. And I read one called "When All the World Was Brownstown," which was about the Cleveland Browns winning the NFL championship in 1964, which is like the last iota of success that the Cleveland Browns ever had. Um, the great Jim Brown was the force behind that team, just passed away here a few short weeks ago. Uh, so he's talked about a lot, complicated guy. Uh, and Blanton Collier, uh, interestingly enough, was the coach of that team, and he got that job because he had been fired from the University of Kentucky, where he had been the football coach. Uh, and all he did was go win an NFL championship with the Browns. And the only bad thing anybody can ever say about Bland Collier is he was really hard of hearing. He had to lip read a lot as an NFL coach, and he stepped down not many years after that because mm -hmm. he just said, I can't hear my own players anymore. It's a shame. Yeah, and I mean, they, they did everything in the world, but you were getting into the days when players had a normal face mask helmet like they do now, and he, he just couldn't right. keep up. That's um, so sad. But uh, an interesting story, and, and yeah, you got to go back to olden days to hear good stories about the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> and then Ryan and I read one called College Basketball, You Are the Coach. I don't know how you say the gentleman who wrote his name, Nate Asing, A-A-S-E-N-G. Like he would definitely be first in any alphabetical lists. Yeah. Um, this was a book I had read when I was about Ryan's age. It's fun. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book in real life. You're given these 10 scenarios where you are the coach of a team in, in the NCAA tournament, and what do you do with these choices? And It's fun because sometimes the, the choice that the real-life coach made didn't work out, so they're like, well, maybe you should have done X instead of Z, you know. But uh, he, he enjoyed it. I, I hoped that he would uh, get a kick out of it, and he uh, he thought along with some of them and uh, got some right and got some wrong, which if my memory is right, is pretty much what I did. So what so, is the purpose of the book? You know, yeah, just it's it's a fun way to try to get you to think about these bigger picture concepts. And what I didn't know is that the same guy did ones for uh, college and pro football and major league baseball and mm -hmm. I think maybe pro basketball. So oh, I see this coming next for you guys. Yeah, we'll have to see if uh, I can find the further works of old Nate. Uh, it's been out of print for a while, but uh, still fun. So we enjoyed it. And then Excellent. I read the book that you had read previously, All My Knotted Up Life by Beth Moore. And that is our shared read for this week. Um, it is a memoir. Uh, she talks in this book about how she waited 
to the right time to write this until some people in her family were no longer here and then you know other people could approve what it is she had to say when you have lived the kind of life that she has really I think if you, anybody who's made it to her age there are a lot of things that you have grown into and you would like to make sure that you, you're just not really looking to you know break anybody's heart you yeah, I mean, and we live in kind of the time of the celebrity memoir where you've got Prince Harry who can't wait to drag his whole family across the coals as publicly as possible. And yeah, that obviously was not what she wanted to do. She wanted to share more of her, her story, but if she could do it in a way that wasn't going to hurt other people. And it's funny that I think that that is the only criticism that I've really heard of this book is people who kind of wanted her to give some more salacious details, especially about the split from the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> yeah, which she does but not that's do. Not yeah. her, that's not her goal in this, and I really respect the way that she wrote this story with the kind of kindness and love that she has put into her Bible studies. I guess we should just go ahead and say I've done quite a few of her Bible studies. You have done none of them. No, I have done none of them. I was trying to explain to Natalie who Beth Moore was, and I said she's, I think of her as the woman who writes Bible studies for nice Christian ladies. That, that is kind of the, the, the pigeonhole that I had for her, possibly somewhat unfairly, because well, no, there's a lot more to it. pigeonhole she had taken for herself yeah. until her split with the Southern Baptist Convention, at which point I think she also sees herself as a person who speaks to everybody. Um, I'm not sure she would have defined herself as a person who wrote for men. Like she, you do these Bible studies and she is speaking literally specifically to women. She'll say sisters. She'll say, I mean, like yeah. uh, because of the constraints of the Southern Baptist Convention and their, the desires not to let women have leadership roles over men, yeah. she was very careful to live and work within that. Lifeway was her publisher mm. for so many years. Um, and until she had to make that split, she tried to work within that. But in this book, she does reveal a little bit of how hard that was. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because she did not come at this, to use the parlance of our times, intentionally. She didn't set out to be this uh, motivational slash Bible education guru. It kind of found her. It did. All she really set out to do was work for God. Yeah. Like she said that repeatedly, that yeah. same phrase, many times. And she wasn't sure what shape that would take. For a while, it was being an aerobics teacher. That yeah, was that, how she was that, work That's for her God. intro to the whole thing. And uh, I, I loved some of her stories of growth in that, of having mentors who would let her learn from them. One of them was this. I could just picture this scene she talked about. He's this, you know, elderly Southern Baptist man who's got this lady who wants to learn all of these, you know, <laughs> convoluted points of biblical theory. And he How says, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on this, but I do, your husband needs to be there. So it would be the three of them. Beth's husband, Keith, would sit there and she said, read Field and Stream quite happily <laughs> while the two of them dove into these uh, holy mysteries and... She, she's such a character. She's so fascinating. And she she tells so much of the inner workings of her life, of her marriage, of her parenting. She was sexually abused as a child. She goes into that in more depth than I understand she ever has before, although it's still very modest and tasteful with what she says. But she's honest enough to lay a lot of hurts in her life bare and yet also 
share a lot of triumphs. And then, yeah, it ultimately comes with this sense of confusion that the uh, Access Hollywood tape of Donald Trump is released about a month before he's elected president, and she was one of the people who had the audacity to say, I'm not on board with this. And she suffered for it accordingly. Uh, and that, that was, as has happened for a lot of people, one, one step that rapidly became five or six steps in a cultural battle that uh, she didn't bargain on, but she got stuck in the middle of. And stood her ground admirably for what was right, no matter what the prevailing culture said. And I, I think that it was a shock to her because the culture she has lived in, of course, had always cheered her on. Mm-hmm. And to have that turn on her for doing the right thing, well, it was shocking to all of us, really. Um, I liked the inside look at how she became to became a Bible teacher mm-hmm. and how studying the Bible changed her and... Um, inspired a deeper and greater love for others. And there really was no place that that was more obvious than in the story of her family. Um, Lots and lots of problems in her family, lots of problems in her upbringing, sexual abuse, like you said. And yet she learns to forgive and learns to use everything that's happened to her as a way to relate to other people and become more empathetic. Yeah, yeah, and ultimately kind of does the same thing with her split from the Southern Baptist Convention. There is an absolutely gorgeous chapter on her and her husband trying a new church and on that experience and what it meant to her, and uh, it's just goosebump stuff. It's really, really good. I came away with just an abiding... um, impression that, that this lady really is more than I had given her credit for, certainly, uh, but I think more than, than many of her, her critics or detractors <laughs> give her credit for. She, she's pretty special, and, well, and I think that's, she's so candid. She's so open in this book. I think that's the thing for a lot of men, and I'm not putting you down in this at all. I think a lot of men underestimated her by trying to put her in the box of, oh, she's she just does Bible studies for women. Nice Southern lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's not that she's not those things, but she's a lot more. Yeah. And this book showed that very well. Yeah. So I, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. I was very impressed with her as, as a writer. Uh, I listened to it. So she read it as mm-hmm. well. She is, of course, a great public speaker. So it's not a shock that she would do well as a reader. Uh, but again, the the candor and the honesty comes into that. There are spots in this book where you can tell she's in tears reading it and knowing what I know about how audiobooks are made. You feel like there were 25 takes and they're like, look, there's not going to be a take without her crying. Let's just choose the one that we think works the best and and we'll go from there. Uh, But it was nice to hear it in her own voice. All right. So a beautiful book. We highly recommend it. And now we're ready to tell you just a little bit about what's going to be our next read. Yeah, and if I said that these two books had a lot more in common than I ever would have expected, now admittedly I'm like 40% through Harrison Scott Key's How to Stay Married, uh, but there's a lot about faith in here, and just as there was a lot about marriage and what that means in Beth Moore's book. So who knew? Spiritual brother and sister here, that might be a little (laughs) much, but... 
the, their their approach is very different. Harrison Scott Key is one of the funniest writers in the world. Yeah, we've and, talked about you know his can't. other two books on yeah. here before, where he wrote a memoir about his father and then a memoir about being a writer itself. You don't want to give too much away no, about this no, no, book no. this week because we're going to talk about it in two weeks, and it is for both of us. I would say probably one of our favorite books of the year. Yeah. Uh, this is an amazing book. So if you um, have not read anything by Harrison Scott Key, this is a wild ride, and it's a really good place to start. And I would really encourage you to go ahead and pick it up and read it over these next two weeks. Let us know what you think, um, because we cannot wait to talk to you about it. No, and I'm trying to get the titles of his other the two The World's books Largest here. Man is yes, the one about his the father. one about his dad. And then the one about him being a writer is uh, Congratulations, Who Are You Again? I knew it was a great title. They're, they're <laughs> phenomenal. You can't go wrong with any of the three. Any of them would stand on their own. But the one we're reading is the new one, How to Stay Married, the most insane love story ever told. And yeah, again, I'm like 40% in. You're 140% in. Yeah, because what it. happened here was I read a chapter, and then I read it to you. And then I read another chapter, and then I read it to you. And then finally, I just finished the book. But I am reading it to you. That's yeah. how you are reading this book. My, my favorite reader there you go thank you (laughs) there are just too many things about this that i wanted to stop and talk to you about while i was reading and so we're going chapter by chapter and having our discussion and moving on so we have tons of things to say we do about this book um if you have read any of the things we talked about or have any suggestions of things that we ought to be reading please let us know you can find us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com on instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on twitter at pbackreaderspod So we'd love to hear from you, and otherwise, have a nice summer, and make sure, whether it's a beach or at home, or even if you're slaving away on the job, sneak away for a minute and involve a book in it. Take care.